Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. All right, we're going to be in Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 21. Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. Uh, Fairly easy to find. It's a pretty big book. Or you can use your phone if you want to scroll there, Matthew 21. I'm going to begin with a question that I think most of us will relate to at least a little bit if you've been around church or church people at all. Here's the question. Have you ever been frustrated with church or church people? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I don't know if I like you right now. I'm like, okay, just frustrated with church or church people. I think most of us probably you can think of times Some of the memories that came to my mind when I was attending a church and the pastor's son, who was like five years old, four years old, I can still remember this place in the church, the little dude ran up to me and kicked me in the shins, like totally just like, whoop-bam! And the pastor was standing right there and he said, isn't he something? Yeah, he's something. That was his response. Um, Isn't he something? (laughs) I remember another time I was helping do some music at a wedding, and it was the wedding rehearsal, and the priest that was responsible for uh, the wedding was very, very, very drunk, like noticeably drunk. And I remember trying to comfort the bride-to-be afterwards because she was really freaking out about whether the wedding would be okay or whether that, right? So I just remember that and being pretty frustrated at that situation. Have you ever been frustrated? You probably have frustrated. Some of you are frustrated with church or church people. It's a pretty regular experience. I'll regularly hear things like, oh, I went and visited this church and no one said hi to me the whole morning. Um, Some of our frustrations or disappointments might be kind of minor like, you know, they said they were going to sing my favorite worship song, but they didn't. I'm like, ah, it's okay. Or um, some of them can be really, really, potentially really hurtful. Remember a story a friend of mine told, a newer friend. And uh, she had gone through a rough divorce that really wasn't her fault. And she had gotten kicked out of the church that she was in because she went through a divorce. And it was super hurtful to her, frustrating to her for a a long time. Uh, Make a little turn here. God is, shares equal at times frustration with church and church people. Did you know that? Sometimes it would appear that he gets really, really frustrated with church or church people. In Acts chapter 5, there's a story of a man named Ananias. You could read about it. Ananias lies uh, in church, in a church setting, uh, about how generous he was, basically. And in the moment, it says, one of the leaders say, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And that's a bad idea, apparently. Because it says, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. If you're thinking about lying in the next 30 minutes, you guys, I would think twice. 
before you. Apparently pretty frustrating to God. There's another example that's pretty extreme in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 16. A guy named Korah, I think it is Korah, yeah, and a group of Reubenites. They, they rise up against the present spiritual leader. His name was Moses. A lot of you have heard of Moses. Apparently that's a bad idea because if you read this chapter, at one point God opens up a hole in the earth and swallows a portion of this group. So apparently he was kind of frustrated with them. In the New Testament, Jesus gets frustrated. In Matthew chapter 23, uh, the little section in my Bible is titled, Seven Woes to the Teachers of the Law and Pharisees, which were religious people, kind of churchy people. And just a few of them. It's, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And he says, You hypocrites. Apparently pretty frustrating. In verse 23, woe to you. And he goes on to say, you've neglected justice and mercy and faithfulness. And that's bad. I'm frustrated. In verse 27, he's frustrated because apparently they look beautiful on the outside, but they're not taking care of the inside. It's just, he says, you, but before this, he says, woe to you. He says, uh, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of everything unclean. So there's these moments of frustration, significant frustration, that God and the Lord Jesus, and I'm sure the Spirit of God, has at times. And uh, with those thoughts, we are in the second week of a series called Raw, when God gets emotional. And last weekend, we looked at where Jesus wept. This week, we're going to look at where Jesus is really pretty frustrated, and uh, it's, a, it's a story that some of you will be familiar with. It's where Jesus comes into a church setting, into the temple area, and he gets mad enough that he starts knocking over tables, and that, it's that one, when Jesus enters the temple. So uh, we're going to land in Matthew 21. Here's what we need to know. Uh, Jesus has been doing ministry for quite some time, his public ministry. He's been teaching and healing and training disciples. Part of that ministry, every once in a while, he would head into the temple or the temple area, and he would teach or he would heal and do great things for people. On this day, when he enters the temple area, he does not like what he sees. Uh, and we're going to do two things. We don't do this very often. I'm going to read, first of all, from the book of John, which is John's explanation of the same moment so he's going to he's going to share from his perspective and then we'll land in Matthew where he shares his perspective of the same moment so in John I'll just read it off the screen in John it says it was almost time for the Jewish Passover Jesus went up to Jerusalem in the temple courts he found people selling cattle sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here, exclamation point, stop turning my father's house into a market. So that's the way John shares it. In Matthew 21, 
Matthew recalls it this way. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Title of the talk is Meltdown in Church. I don't know if that's a great title, because, but Jesus kind of has a little bit of a meltdown here, it feels like. And uh, uh, we're going to explore what upset Jesus. Uh, just a side couple practical things by looking at these ideas. One, I know most of us would rather Jesus not pull out a whip regarding our activity. Right? Amen? Like, you know, we want to please him. So there could be some things that can help us here so that we're not frustrating to him. And also as a church, I would love it if we would be a church where if Jesus came in physically, like he would smile and, and be glad to be here and not start tossing tables kind of thing. So some real practical sides of this. Let's pray and we'll look at what upset Jesus here. Uh, God, a lot of us are trying to make you... Well, we care. A lot of us, we just care. Even today, a bunch of us, we're in church because we would like to please you and kind of make you smile. We would like to bring you pleasure and all those things. Some of that's just because of all you've done for us in sending Jesus. So uh, will you open our eyes to some lessons that are in this text? Be our teacher, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Two ideas. First one is this. Jesus was apparently upset about the emphasis on money. If you want to write that in on the handout. You can also, we have an app that you can fill in, make notes. This is pretty easy to see in the text. Uh, Matthew 21. I just have highlighted some of the words. He enters the temple courts. He drove out all who were buying and selling. The tables where they were exchanging money. The benches of those selling doves. Just to paint a little bit more vivid picture of what's going on here. On the screen is a, just a simple illustration of what the temple area was like. So it would have been a bigger area than like our church. It would have been it was big, square, long. But at the bottom here would have been the regular entrance into the temple area. And probably that first square at the bottom was where this event took place. Right? It would have been the temple outer courts. Now just a side note, part of the makeup in this temple area would be to come in here in the outer court, but... The movement would be to transition toward up at the top where there's the Holy of Holies, which is where oftentimes God's presence would be manifest, all right? So there, it was, you know, it's like a process of going in. Uh, so a couple things about this outer court. It was a transition area. Part of this was very practical. So it wasn't bad. Well, no, how do I say this? So in that area providing sacrifices for travelers would have been actually pretty practical. So 
rather than, if you were traveling from someplace far away, rather than dragging your own lamb 13 mile, on a 13-mile walk, you could just go, and then you could purchase an appropriate lamb and, and then sacrifice it. Does that make sense? So it's real. And also, if you came from a place where there was different currency, it was really nice to have a place where you need, could trade, trade in your whatever currency to get money. Okay, so there's a very practical side of what was going on here. But apparently, instead of just being practical, it had become way too big of a deal. It had become the focus of what was going on. If you need a pretty simple average illustration, welcome to the vineyard. I have a lot of them. Uh, if, if This would be like if you were going to your favorite concert, rock concert, worship concert, and you would go in and instead of actually getting into the concert, right, which is what you want to be there to see, I don't know, whoever your favorite, whatever, instead, the whole thing would just be caught up in just the merchandise tables. That's what happened here. So you'd say, hey, man, how was the blah, blah, blah concert? I don't know. I just hung out and spent all my money in, at the merch tables. That would be wrong. But some of that must have been happening here. So instead of getting to the important things, like God, people were coming to church just to do the money thing. You can write this in. Instead of being practical, money had become their purpose. And it didn't fly with Jesus. <laughs> By the way, this emphasizes something I think we all know. Sometimes it's good to be reminded. Jesus Christ was not and is not driven by money. He just is not driven by money and stuff. Let me give you a couple examples of that. He teaches us in Matthew 6, 19. He says, Don't, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Another idea, when Jesus was choosing his disciples, the apostles, there is no indication that he picked one of them because they were rich or wealthy or a phenomenal business person. There's no, that's not, he didn't, you know, he didn't make, there's no indication there that he was like, well, we better get, we better get someone who knows how to make money. It's not what he did. There's another telling account of Jesus, I think, in John chapter 12. This is a story where Jesus is in a, in a home and a woman comes in who breaks open this uh, really, really expensive bottle of perfume and pours it on Jesus' head, okay? And it must have been some Fabergé, some, it was amazing, because I have no idea what even expensive perfume is. What's, anybody know a name of an expensive perfume today? I just remember, what? What is it? Prada, Prada, Prada. Yeah, yeah baby. <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm a little surprised that you know about it, young man, but I'm loving it. All right, I like that. 
What's your name? What's your name? Pearson. All right. I love it, Pearson. We appreciate your help at the church. So this woman brings in a vat of Prada, pours it on Jesus' head. Now here we go. And here's what it says in verse 5, okay? And one of the disciples says this, and I kind of get what they're saying. He says, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? Here's the deal about this. It says it was worth a year's wages. Now just pause. I don't know what you make, Pearson, in a year. But, you know, whether you're making 20 grand or 200 grand, whatever your year's wages, this is some expensive, amazing perfume. And so the disciples are going, are we sure that was, are we sure that's good stewardship of money? Which you kind of understand. But the thing that's telling about the talk, if you, read the, if you read the rest of that, Jesus basically says, lay off. This was a beautiful thing. I'm not as concerned about what you got. Does that make sense? He just, he dismisses their question. Jesus is not all that focused on the money stuff. One more idea, this was new to me, in the reality that Jesus was not driven by money and stuff. In the same chapter, it tells us that one of the disciples, the disciple who betrayed Jesus, his name was Judas, and he was crooked. And Judas was the keeper of the money bag for the disciples. And Jesus knew it the whole time. And yet he doesn't make any adjustments. Jesus was the guy who took care of the money. It actually says in the Bible that every once in a while he would steal some out of the money bag. If Jesus was all that into money, he would have said, let's get somebody else to hold the money bag. He just doesn't care that much. So this brings, us, brings some challenges to me and to us, I think. Here's a few questions to try to make this practical. First of all, am I keeping a balanced financial perspective for us? Like, are we keeping a proper perspective on the importance of money? Boy, that's a good question. And when I say balanced financial perspective, I'm not talking about balance, balancing your portfolio. I'm talking about is not getting too caught up in thinking money is the most important thing, because it's not. I thought of it this way. Some of you, yeah. Do you ever freak out if you get overcharged for something like $6.48? In the last service, there were people like looked at their, they looked right over at the person there. So here's what I'm saying to us to think about. Can we think about this? Money is not all that important. You got. Now, this doesn't mean that we shouldn't work hard and you can't have some nice things, but we would be really wise to pay attention and not make it the focus of our life. If I were to ask any of you what's the most important thing in your life, I don't think any of us would say money because we would know relationships, friendships, maybe a, a dating relationship, a, a marriage, a kid, right? We would all say this is the most important. Jesus would come and say, line up your life for those things. And for most of those situations, money is not the most important thing for success. So it's just a good perspective. Another practical way to finish up this point uh, is this. Don't think God chose us economically 
which is not a great way to say it. But what I mean is, he did not pick you because you were either good or not good financially. I want to say to everyone here who's not great with money, I won't make you raise your hand. Maybe you're just not great at making money. You're not great at managing money. Can I tell you, God really doesn't care that much because he loves you for who you are. He does not need you to be financial, a financial whiz with the checkbook before you matter to God. And sometimes that's important to those of us that are not great with money. God cares about you. Removed from the whole money stuff. Got it? I would also say to those of us who may be good at making money, don't think God loves you more because you can make money. Also, I would say, don't think that God loves you less because you're skilled at making money. Our primary identity before God has very, 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 very little to do with our money and our stuff. Isn't that good news? Isn't that great news? That is just, I'm so glad. The last thing is just an application for the church. Uh, let's be a church that keeps a spiritual focus, right? I think we're doing okay. Let's keep, I'm so glad we don't talk a ton about, you know, money and offerings and all that stuff. Mostly talk about ministry, so let's keep doing that. So the first idea from the text is Jesus was upset about the emphasis on money. One more thing, Jesus was upset about the lack of prayer, the lack of prayer, We'll get back to verse 13 in a minute, but let me paint, uh, as you fill in that blank if you'd like, let me paint a word picture. Uh, remember COVID? Anybody remember that? That COVID thing that happened a couple years ago? Remember how it disrupted the supply chain of certain things? Sometimes it, it still has kind of maybe messed it up. I remember uh, pulling into uh, Taco Bell. Who loves Taco Bell? We're friends. Everybody? <laughs> It's like Taco Bell. I try not to eat there very often. But I pulled into a Taco Bell, and the little person, well, they weren't a little person. They, probably a big person, but it came through the little speaker. It's a little person in there. There's a little tiny person in that little speaker. How are you? Okay, never mind. But they said something like this. Welcome to, welcome to Taco Bell. Before you order... I need to let you know we're out of beans, shells, cheese, cheese sauce. And then there was this pause, and I think shredded chicken. It was one of those, it was one of those things where, and then they said, go ahead and order when you're ready. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm confused, because I was looking at that big giant board and thinking, doesn't everything take some kind of shell? Or, you know, it's this weird thing. It was like they came over this, the little voice thing and said, welcome to Taco Bell where we have no tacos. It was the way it felt. <laughs> Order when you're ready. It was weird. It, you know, but you can get that feeling like, wait a minute, this is a taco place. How can we not have? So I think some of that feeling may have been in Jesus' head when he says in verse 13, it is written my house will be called a house of prayer. But the problem here is, this is supposed to be a house of prayer, but you ain't got any prayer. There's no prayer here. And at the Taco Bell, that wasn't that big a deal. I just ordered a few of those little sauce packets and sucked on them on my way home. <laughs> no, I didn't. 
I made that up. I totally didn't do that. I figured out something. So that was the big deal at Taco Bell. But apparently, this is with Jesus. This no, this is, I'm trying to make a point here. I don't know why I said that about the thing. But apparently with Jesus, this is a really big deal. That there was no prayer happening here. And I wonder if this wasn't what flipped that switch. Maybe even more so than the doves and stuff. Was wor- he wasn't just, let's get this money and stuff out of here. The purpose of getting it out of there, I think, was we have got to make room in this place. This is supposed to be a house of prayer. According to Isaiah, I think it's chapter 55, it mentions the temple area. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, and there was no prayer going on. You can write this in. The lack of prayer was apparently a big deal. A big deal. I think if we go back to this image of the temple courts and the temple area, it might give us a little more insight into why this was a big deal. Remember the outer court where all this is happening? And up at the top is the Holy of Holies, the presence of God manifested there. Here's a a thought that came to my mind. You've got dozens, hundreds of people only a hundred yards from God and no one's talking to him. Wouldn't that be tragic? They're all like you're this you're that close to the presence of the Lord and we're just still talking amongst ourselves. And it's, it's more than just frustrating to Jesus. That's just plain old tragic. It would be horrible. I can't, can't even fathom the thought if Jesus, again, were here with us today and he was sitting like up over here in the corner and all we did all morning was talk to each other and fill in blank. We would never do that. We would take advantage of the presence and the closeness of God and we would talk to him. I'm going to finish up with... Uh, an idea from Matthew chapter 27 where Jesus is dying on the cross. And just a reminder, Jesus came, died on the cross to ready. He died on the cross to open access, wash away our sins so that we would not be separated from the Father again. That's why he came and died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, if we can put the image back up, well, we'll put the verse up. Matthew 27, 50, this is when he was dying. It's the point of his death. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He died. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. If we go back to the, the visual, the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. See those two little lines there? I think that signifies there was this big, massive curtain that you had to go through so many rituals so many sacrifices before you could ever and before you could ever go past the curtain and virtually no one ever got to go past the curtain a little side note probably don't have time to do it but it's it's uh, thought that a priest like once a year uh, the the most special chosen priest could actually go into the presence of God and before he would go in they would tie a rope Around, have you heard this? They would tie a rope around him just in case the presence of God was so overwhelming or he was unclean and he, fall, and he would fall over dead. Did you know that they would tie a rope around him? <laughs> and they'd let, you know, what was your name again? 
Pearson. They'd say, okay, good luck, Pearson. And then <laughs> Pearson would go in because of the overwhelming presence of God. They would tie a rope. I don't know whether it's around the waist or around the ankle, just in case Pearson would follow. And then they could go. So then they'd say, sorry, buddy. And then they would pull your carcass back out and bury you. So this was all around this, this temple and this curtain thing. When Jesus died on the cross, supernaturally, that curtain from top to bottom just went and broke open. That signifies the opportunity because of the death of Jesus. You can go in and have communion and conversation with the God of the universe through what Jesus did on the cross. Is that not cool? And you don't have to tie a rope around your foot because Jesus has, we are not all that clean, folks. Can we admit that? But because of Jesus' death on the cross, you are forgiven, clean. You can go into the presence of God, come out, come in, go out, all that stuff. Jesus is amazing. And the final idea for the talk is this. We have access to God, so talk to him. We should just be talking to him. Today, after church, when you're driving in the car, when you wake up in the morning, before you go home, when you hit a, when you hit a rough patch, talk to God about it. When life is awesome, talk to God about it. We're going to finish our time. Uh, typically, I'd invite you to stand, but I'm going to just uh, have you stay seated. We're just going to go into a minute or so of prayer, just as a group. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.